Well, good morning again. And if this is your first time to Redemption Church, you couldn't have picked a better day because we're all dressed up today. And that's awesome. Um, whether you believe it or not, at least we all know why we're here today. Somebody said something about the resurrection. Now, either you believe that or someone invited you to a ham dinner. And so this is the penance you have to pay. Either way, you know why you're here. And to be fair, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you land on in regarding to whether you believe the resurrection or not. It is a very familiar story, at least so far in our culture. People know what we're talking about. But what I want to do just in the beginning uh, this morning is I want to drag you back to the emotions of Friday and the followers of Jesus and the experience that they have been and are going through before we pick up a small little paragraph in, in Luke's gospel. I... Um, can't imagine the heaviness and, and the weight that these people must have been feeling um, as they walk, according to Luke, as they're walking to the tomb that Easter morning um, with Friday on their minds. Insult, ridicule, physical punishment, suffering like you can't imagine all in their minds and all towards a man, mind you, that never said an unkind word to anybody, was never unkind to anyone. In fact, their master loved everyone. And maybe what is more striking than anything else, he particularly went to the outcasts, the people nobody loved. In fact, they would see themselves as outcasts. And so they knew what it was like to be on the outside looking in and having someone love them. And Jesus did that. And yet they watched they watched on that Friday, Jesus stripped naked in front of the multitudes and whipped with an inch of his life and his lacerated, pulverized back laid down on a splintered cross and they took these really crude nails and drove them into his wrists and his feet and they plopped that cross up and dropped it in a hole as they continued to mock him. And there he hung on a criminal's cross between two thieves. His body was torn, his emotions were torn the text says he breathed his last and was no more. Now that's just the physical side of, of the story. And clearly that whole experience had been crushing the followers of Jesus beyond just, just the whole emotional part of it. They had clearly had their memories affected because if they would simply have remembered what Jesus had told them, this morning would have felt a whole bunch different. Jesus had said this to them. We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that was written by the prophets about the Son of Man is going to be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and they will mock him. They will insult him. They will spit on him. They will flog him and they will kill him. But on the third day, they, he will rise again. Now somebody should have wrote that down. Note to self, <laughs> resurrection. Because they didn't remember. They were brokenhearted. Nothing in them responded as if, he's going to rise and keep his promise. They've seen everything else. At this moment in their minds, they probably felt like well, we lost a friend. Clearly, he was our best friend. And they probably felt like they lost their hopes because they saw him as the Messiah Redeemer. They saw him as Israel's future, the future of man. They saw him as the rescuer. And now he's gone. And so their hopes are dashed and their friend is gone. A totally horrible nightmare. Jesus had lived with them in the most intimate way for three plus years. 
everything out loud, everything right in front of them. In fact, you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know that he was, a, he was good. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He took crippled legs and made them walk. Leprous skin he made clean. To those who mourned, he cried with. He spoke out against sin. He spoke out against corruption. Everything he did, everything he said, and everything he was was for other people. Everything he did was good. Who could not see that? Who, who would have the audacity to kill someone like that? Now, I can just imagine the walk to the tomb. Beyond what the text tells us, they were probably doing what we would do, crying in the middle of telling stories of what was, what used to be, what we hoped would be, right? In and out of those kind of emotions, they were on, on their way, and they were not prepared at all for the surprises that they were about to encounter. That's shocking. Because here's what they discovered. As the women, it says there's a selection of women, were making their way to the tomb on that Easter morning with spices to prepare the body. Because Friday, after all, was so hectic and the Sabbath was the day after. So we can't work on the Sabbath. So they're rushing there in the dark hours of the morning to, to anoint the body. And the first surprise they get is they find, according to verse 2, Luke 24, the stone is gone. It's been removed. That's not a little thing, that's a big thing. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way in his gospel to say that Joseph of Arimathea, who owned the tomb, who gave it for Jesus' burial, rolled a big stone in front of it. Many writers would suggest a ton and a half of weights. Even the women, as they're walking in another gospel, they were talking to themselves, carrying the spices, going, no, I don't know, who's gonna move the stone? Like, I don't know how they didn't think this plan out, but they were gonna show up and have nothing, I guess. Clearly, they saw this stone as a big obstacle, and for a surprise, Easter morning, it's gone. Mark tells us that an angel rolled it away. Second surprise, verse three, and when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The body's gone. The body's gone. They saw him die. They were there at the cross, the foot of the cross. They had saw the suffering. They followed the body to the tomb, saw him buried. That's why they knew where to go on, on, on the morning of Easter. They, they knew he had died. But who, in their minds, who, who would be so cruel as to steal a body? And after all, you'd have to do it on the Sabbath, and that's even evil. In fact, it, the text tells us that Mary ran to Peter to say these words. Somebody has taken him, because that's what they concluded. Still, no thought of the resurrection. No matter what he said, they thought somebody had stole him. Well, here's, here's the reality. The enemies of Jesus wouldn't have taken the body. That would be counterproductive to what they desire. Let, let me explain. It, this is interesting. I don't know what to do with it, but it's a reality. Every time you see the disciples before the resurrection responding to the death of Jesus, they don't remember what he said. You know who remembers? The Pharisees. His enemies remember. I don't know what to do with that, but they remembered because they sat around and planned it. They said, wait a minute. We heard him talk about resurrection. Somebody get to the tomb and guard it because if we don't guard it and they steal the body, they'll gin up this Christian thing and we got a problem. So, he's got this reality. The enemies wouldn't have taken the body. So they did everything they could do to make certain it wouldn't be taken. They put a Roman seal on it that basically said, you touch, you die. They surrounded with guards, four to 12 Roman guards, paid killers with, with this charge, killer be killed. 
You die if you don't protect it. So there's high motivation for those guarding the tomb. And, and beyond all of that, this is why the enemies didn't take the body. Because if they wanted to really thwart this whole idea of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the ruler, all you have to do is present a dead body. There he is. It all goes away. They didn't take it. Let me tell you something else. The friends of Jesus didn't take it either. Beyond the physical limitations that we've clearly noted, there's a giant stone in the way. There's the Roman seal in the way. There are all these guards that will kill you if you touch it. I don't think they were in any emotional state to be able to march in there and take the body. Do you remember what happened when they watched Jesus suffering? They scattered Peter the rock. Remember him? Denied Jesus three times. They were absolutely convinced if they keep following Jesus, what happened to Jesus, what happened to them, and they scattered just like you and I would in fear for our very lives. They weren't in an emotional state to take the body. And by the way, this is really important, what would motivate them to do it? Here's what we'll do. We'll go in and risk our lives to steal a dead body, to perpetrate a lie that he's alive, and then they'll kill us. Come on. It's not true. Let me give you another surprise. When they get to the tomb, the stone is gone, the, Jesus is gone, and there are two men, two angels, the text says, shining like lightning. What would you do with that? It's a big, busy morning. All they could do is what you and I would do. The text says it. They, they just bowed in awe and reverence to this whole scene. My assumptions are that as they're processing all this, wait a minute, the stone's gone, Jesus gone, and who are these sun-shining men now, all right? My, my assumptions, they probably thought, well, maybe I'm dreaming, am I real? Pinch myself, I don't know what's going on here. And then the angels said something that changed their life forever, changed the course of human history, and is the reason why you showed up here this morning. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Amazing words. I wonder if that moment, they went, oh yeah, he said that. I wonder what they felt. Here's what you need to know. Christianity, our faith, what we believe, what we sing, rises or falls on the reality of the resurrection. And, and one single event that validates everything the prophets ever said about Jesus, validates everything Jesus said about himself, validates, by the way, every transformed life that has ever been affected is, goes back to the resurrection. You look in the course of history, you see someone like the Apostle Paul who killed Christians for a living, turned to Christ and loved the world, telling people that Jesus is the way. Something affected his life to such a degree he was a brand new man. And there are people to your left and people to your right, people behind you, all have been transformed for one reason, because the resurrection's true. It's real. One single event. No other religious leaders, by the way, validated their claims of truth by rising from the dead. Moses, dead. Muhammad, dead. Confucius, dead. Buddha, dead. Jesus is the only one who claimed to rise, the only one that did rise. And here's why the resurrection is everything to us, because it, first of all, confirms who he claimed to be, because he claimed to be God. 
And that's how Paul saw it when he said this in Romans 1. Jesus declared himself to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. How do you know he's God? Because he rose from the dead. That's what the scriptures tell us. Seems to make sense. The other thing the resurrection does, it proves that God can meet our deepest needs. If, I, if we had the time and I handed out paper and pencil to you and I said, oh, here's what we're going to do. Next half hour, write down your needs. Here's what I think would be on the list. Trouble. I've lost my friend. I've lost my wife. I've lost my health. I've lost my job. I've lost my hope. It'd be filled with pain. You'd be filled with brokenness. That's, that's what I need. I need somebody to fix stuff. Now, I'm going to just throw all of our needs in one bucket and give you two words to describe the ultimate need. We need somebody to deal with our sin and deal with death. Because all of the things on your list, as real as they are, the reason why they exist is because of sin. 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 Rebelling against God, doing things our own way, in our own wisdom, as if we know. And the results of our behavior outside of following God equals we mess everything up. And mess is just a nice, nice way to say all the gore that you wish would be better. The reality of it is, scriptures make it clear that all of us have sinned. And the consequence of being a sinner is death. That's what the scriptures declare. But here's what it says as well. Christ, now listen very carefully. Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that true? Isn't that the point of the story? If Christ hasn't been raised then we're still dead in our sins and our faith is futile. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He has been raised from this. So let me just tell you about this sin, this weight that you bear, this burden, that list of hurts and the list of needs that you put on there. God's last word on your sin, the sin that cripples you and hurts you and made your list, isn't you're guilty, therefore condemned. God's last word on your sin is he is risen. That's what he speaks, resurrection power over all the things we couldn't fix on our own. Does that make sense? The other thing we have an issue with is death. You and I were created to live. The instinct is palpable. But sin, according to the scriptures, Genesis 3, brought death. Here's good news. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you need to listen very carefully. Because Jesus defeated death, the scriptures make it clear you and I can overcome death by putting our faith in Jesus and none other. You know what Jesus said? I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. I am the resurrection, I'm the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies, meaning he will raise you to life according to the scriptures. We will all be resurrected by faith in Christ with the one who has power over death. That's the reality. Your greatest needs. Can I, can I do one thing before we finish? I want to go back to a question we kind of just glanced over. 
in the angel's response to the women who wondered what was going on. They asked a question. And I want to spin it and twist it. The question they asked was, why do you look for the living among the dead? Can I give you a question I think is totally massively relevant for our culture and our day? Why do you look for life in all the dead places? Um, Here's what I know. There's a tendency right at this moment to get distracted. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. But I just want you to lean in. Just lean in. Have the courage to lean in and tell me if this doesn't sound like you because it's me. Every one of us go to a person, place, or thing, hoping with all hope, hoping with all hope that it will lead to life. That'll be life. Made me happy. Whatever words you want to use. Because after all, that's all you can do if you don't have Jesus. You can try to gin up a really cheap substitute. I need life. I want life. I'm made for life. I don't know the Lord of life, so what I'm going to do is sort of create my own. And so what do we do? We all do things for life. I want money. Money will be my life. That's what I'll do. Relationships. Position, power, you know, success, all that stuff. Attention. There's something out there, right? There's something out there to give me life. You are wired to pursue life. The problem is, without a clarity that comes from heaven, we pursue life in the places that can't deliver. And, and there might be a theologian here, but let's just pretend we're not. I don't care how far away you are from what I'm saying, you're at least theologically astute with this truth. Every one of you know this. You have learned this the hard way. False gods never fail to fail you and they will always break your heart. You put trust in something, you go after something to give you purpose and give you life and give you meaning, you go after whatever it is, however grand it may be, it will always break your heart because it can never get to that. You were wired for so much more. Remember what I said, what Paul said, the apostle? He died to rescue from your sins and get you back to God. Living with God is the ultimate joy, it's the ultimate life. It just is. It explains why we're in a perpetual pursuit, like we're stuck on it. We go for it all the time, every one of us. Here's the reality. As much as you may try to deny it, you were made by God and for God. That's why life can't be found anywhere else. To believe in Jesus is to believe that he died the death that you deserved. It's the stuff we've been singing about. And that he rose to defeat sin and death and to give life to dead people. That's what you have to confess. So I'm going to finish in two seconds, but I want you to just look me in the eye for a minute. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to confess him. I don't know if anybody ever does that for you or everybody puts it in plain terms. The gospel, the good news, is not a complicated thing. God would not give that to simple minds like us. It's a simple plan. Are you wrecked? Are you tired? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Well, you have just found another way to say, I don't have life. Well, Jesus offers life. He is the author of life. Here's how simple it is. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. Amen? Let me just encourage you. 
don't take another year. Don't spend one more day. Don't spend one more month. Don't show up next Easter and do this all again. Don't live one more moment without the author of life loving you by faith in Christ. Let's pray. God, I do pray that we would rejoice in the risen king who overcame sin and death and by faith he just grants us the freedom that we sang about, free indeed. Uh, my heart is drawn to people who might be questioning or, or wondering about where you are in their life. Maybe they've gone through some really difficult, horrendous things and so they question whether you could really care. God, help them see who you really are. Help them see um, through the lens of what people do and what people do to each other without Jesus. Sin is the result. Our pain is the result. God, I've prayed, I've prayed all day that you would open the eyes of people who don't know you. Have them in this next couple minutes sing for the first time from a full lung that Jesus is their savior because he's our savior because he rose to give us life. We thank you in his name. Amen.